know, one of my favorite passages of scripture is this little verse tucked away in one of the most depressing books of the Bible. Most people would say the book of Ecclesiastes is one of the most depressing books. I would disagree with that assessment. I think it's a a really beautiful little book that gives you a taste of what happens when a human being gets everything a human being thinks they could ever want, only to discover that without God, it's pretty empty and meaningless. So I love the book of Ecclesiastes, but there's this one little verse in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 where the Holy Spirit spoke through the life of this guy named Solomon and he just unloads this incredible reality of truth. This is what Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says. He says, deep within every human heart, God has placed this longing for eternity. That like in every heart, like every heart in this room, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you and Jesus are running really in step with each other or not, like wherever you're at, every person you're gonna meet on the street, whether you like them or not, every person at your work or on your college campus, there's this thing that's been placed in their heart by God that is yearning for eternal things, yearning for things beyond the temporary, whether they see it, believe it, understand it or not. And I think there's a million ways that you see this eternal longing in our day-to-day life. One of those things that I've kept reflecting on this week is the way that your heart is designed by God to respond to someone's life when you see transformation in their life. Like when, when, when you see somebody experiencing a radical transformation and your heart sort of jumps or leaps or gets excited by that, that's not just because you're a good person or a tuned in person, that's because God has put something in you longing for eternity and one of the things that eternity is marked by will be the full transformation of everything. I love the way the the Bible ends in Revelation. It says that Jesus is literally gonna wipe away every single tear, and then he will begin the work, Revelation 21, verse five, of renewing all things, that literally everything that is broken will be repaired, everything that is dead will be raised to life, everything that has been marred by sin and brokenness and ugliness will will be made beautiful again. And so there's this thing in us, whether we realize it or not, that is thirsty for eternity, just like we thirst for water or food or for sex or for friendship or for companionship. There's this thing in you, thirsty for eternity and transformation in a human life. When you see it, you're like, yes, I don't know what that is, but I long for it. It's the reason you love watching those shows where somebody buys an old house and in three days they completely renovate it and fix it up. You love those shows, not just because you want granite countertops and a better kitchen and a new husband, but you long, (laughs) too real, is that too real? I don't know. Like we, we, we love those shows, why? Because we long to believe that old things can be made new again. That's an eternal longing in you. That thing in you that falls prey to all those late night infomercials where you see this like, like old out of shape dude who's bald and like nothing's working for him in his life and then he takes one pill and he, he's ripped, jacked out of his mind, great head of hair, all the chicks love him. You know, it's like, take this pill and they show the before and after photo and your heart is drawn, why, to the before and after photo? Because there's this eternal longing in you that wants to believe that transformation's possible. So why when you see marriage is restored, something in you leaps, you go, oh, I believe that can happen by the grace and the power of God. There's something that's been put in you by God that's hungry and thirsty for transformation. One of my, my good friends, uh, he's been a friend and mentor for a long time. For most of his life, he's struggled to control his weight. 
And about 18 months ago, he was studying the scriptures with some of his high school students that he mentors, and he gets to Galatians chapter five, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what's the last one? Do you remember? Self-control, all right, a few Christians in the room. So um, self-control, the spirit of God will give you self-control. And my buddy was reading that, and the spirit of God said, hey, I wanna bring transformation in your life in this realm of self-control. I wanna help you here. I wanna help you get healthy. And so he and his wife decided, hey, we're not gonna post all of our workouts on Instagram and tell everybody, here's our plan, you know, here's all the stuff that we're gonna do. He said, just day by day, we wanted the Lord to show us how to live life differently. And here he is 18 months later, he's lost almost 100 pounds. People at, his work, people at his work are showing up and they're like, dude, what are you doing? Because our hearts, Christian or not, your heart has been wired by God to respond to the promise and the hope of transformation. And I love this because all throughout the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is gonna remind us that Jesus is in the business not simply of helping you manage your morality. <laughs> He's not just in the business of helping bad people be a little less bad, <laughs> sinful people be a little less sinful. It's not Jesus' grand design to get you off of the lake on Sunday mornings and into the church. Like, he's, like if we could just get them off the lake and into the pews, then we, that's not the grand heart of God. His heart is this longing for radical transformation from the inside out, every part of your being, to look like Jesus, think like Jesus, act like Jesus, love like Jesus, live like Jesus, so that in every sphere of your life, wherever you go, people go, man, what's happened to you? What are you doing? And you go, well, let me tell you about Christ. And that's how the, the letter to the Philippians started. Philippians chapter one, verse six, I love this. Paul says, hey, let me remind you that Jesus and what he has started in you will be brought to completion over time in community by the power of the Holy Spirit as you walk in obedience. And Paul goes, hey, here's the grand desire of God is not that you would just be barely more Christian than your coworkers. It's that when they are around you, they would experience the tangible presence of Christ because you've been so transformed. And I go, can you imagine what would happen if we walked out of this space every Sunday into our neighborhoods and our workspaces and your coworkers went, oh my goodness, I spent 40 hours with Jesus this week because I was hanging out with that person from Ethos. And Paul's gonna go, that's, that's what God is after in your life. And that's how he starts the letter. And if you're here last week, my friend Mo, who's one of our church planners, did an amazing job taking us through the end of Philippians chapter two where he begins to give us this picture of what transformation looks like. Maybe you remember what Mo said last week where to stop sinning is good, but it's not good enough that God has more for you than that. And we looked at this example that Paul gives us in the life of Timothy and this guy named Epaphroditus, but you get to Philippians chapter three and Paul's gonna open up his chest and he's gonna say, hey, but let me let you in on the thing that God has been doing in me personally, the stuff that maybe you haven't been able to see. Let me show you what this transformation has looked like. Because I love what Paul understood is that sometimes in order to see God's work in our life, we have to see it first in somebody else's life. Have you ever noticed that before? Like you see somebody else's life and you go, oh, I see it, I recognize it, I understand it. And he's gonna say, this is what transformation looks like. So we're gonna read all the way through Philippians 3, verses one through 14, and then we'll come back and uh, just wrestle with a few things together this morning. Remember, he's been talking about transformation at the end of chapter two. So he starts verse one, like this, he says, furthermore, in other words, let's keep talking about this. Furthermore, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. 
it is no trouble for me to write these same things to you again because it's a safeguard for you. Paul goes, I'm not embarrassed to repeat myself. I'm gonna say some of the same things again because it's gonna help you out. Verse two, he says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by the spirit, who boast in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh. I know a lot of weird stuff in there. We'll come back and, and deal with it. Verse four, he says, though I myself have reason for such confidence. I think this is one of the most hilarious parts in the New Testament. Paul's gonna say, hey, we're not gonna brag about what we've done for God, but if we were gonna brag, listen to this, he goes, he goes if we were gonna brag, he goes, I myself, verse four, have reason to brag. I have reason for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, flesh he goes, I have even more. Verse five, I find this funny, maybe you don't. Here's the first thing he's gonna brag about. He goes, I was circumcised on the eighth day. How many of you, the last time you were at a party, like, you're like, I'm gonna just show everybody up in this room. I'm gonna talk about my circumcision. Okay, Mother's Day, maybe I shouldn't use that joke. But I mean, it's right here, verse five. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, I was faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider those things garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of this, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, so much stuff in there, we could literally, every sentence could be a sermon, but I want us to hold on to this big idea. Paul is talking about Jesus' grand desire to bring about total transformation in your life, not just your external behavior but from the inside out, like he wants to fundamentally change you. And I love this because Paul's gonna go, hey, here's a glimpse of what it looks like in my life and we can look at a bunch of things. I'm gonna just kind of put it in four big categories this morning to maybe help your heart and your mind hold on to it. So if you're the type of person that likes to take notes, I'd encourage you to just kind of follow along. The first thing that Paul's gonna say is this. He goes, when I met Jesus, he goes, my transformation began with him relocating my confidence. He relocated my confidence. He goes, before Christ, all of my confidence in regards to how I was doing with God and where I'd spend eternity, he goes, all of my confidence was based on my performance, my works, my efforts, my righteousness, my goodness. And so you see this, look back at verse three. He says, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who no longer put confidence in the flesh. Paul's gonna say, hey, this is the, the way that I used to live my life. And I don't know what your story is, but when I read Philippians 3, I go, this is not only the way that I used to live, this is the way that I'm still prone to live when I'm not walking with the Holy Spirit. There's this old way of thinking 
that wants to believe that we can do enough good things to make God like us. And so we, we tend to view life like this big cosmic scale. And it's like, if you party too hard on the weekend, it's like, well, I better serve on Monday to sort of balance that thing out. Like if I gossiped with my friends, I better send an encouraging text to that friend to to balance that out. And a lot of us unintentionally live as though we're gonna show up in the presence of God one day and go, okay, here's all my good stuff and it's better than all of my bad stuff. And Paul goes, before I met Jesus, that's how I lived, all of my confidence was in what I could do to make God like me. And if you grew up in church, uh, I can almost guarantee you this was the scales of justice that you were given for your life. Even those of you that did not grow up in church probably have this at work in your heart in some way. Like you could ask any random person at your work, are you a good person? And they'd probably say, yeah, I'm a good person. But the question is, in compared to who? Like in, in comparison to what? Because most of us live with this scale of, okay, on this side is Hitler and whoever else is terrible and I'm better than them. The confidence is in my flesh, what I've done, my performance, my ability. And here's the challenge, one of the challenges that I've experienced. When our confidence is in our flesh, what happens when you have a pretty good week where you don't cuss much, you, you don't look at things that you didn't wanna look at on your phone, you don't talk bad behind people's backs? Like when you go through a week and you don't sin much and your confidence is in your performance, how do you feel about yourself? Prideful, self-righteous. Like if you've ever been around a bunch of church people that are arrogant, self-righteous jerks, it's because they believe that their sense of rightness with God is based on all the good things they're doing for God. And Paul goes, this is the way that I used to live. And when I lived this way, sometimes I'd become um, really arrogant and prideful. But what's the other way that that goes? What happens on the days when you fall off the wagon and you say something you wish you wouldn't have said or you do something you wish you wouldn't have done? Instead of being arrogant, you become what? Insecure. And scared. And this is why so often the most prideful people, the most insecure people, because they have built their life off of a faulty system of going, I can make God like me. But inside, they're always wrestling with the question, how good is good enough? Just deeply insecure, wrestling it out. Like a college football coach, you're only as good as your last game. And Paul goes, that's the old way that I used to live. He goes, but Jesus has shown up. He's transforming from the inside out. He's relocated my confidence. And he goes, and my new way of life is no longer built off of what I've done for God, but off of what God has done for me. That's verse three. He says, I don't boast anymore on the stuff that I've done. He goes, I brag on who? On Jesus. He goes, I realize, Paul goes, I realize I didn't get myself into this beautiful reality and my badness isn't gonna get me out of it. Christ has done something. Christ has moved. Christ has transformed. Like, God has come to earth. He has died on a cross. He has raised from the dead. He has, he has washed the reality of sin from this old broken heart. And so now, in Christ, as followers of Jesus, when our confidence is on the grace of Jesus, we become simultaneously the most humble and confident people on the face of the planet. We go, man, we're the worst of all sinners. Yeah, Christ died for me, and I, I know I'm in good standing with them. It's this paradoxical, humble confidence that comes together when transformation happens from the inside out. Paul goes, my confidence has been fundamentally relocated because Paul knew he didn't get himself into this story. Remember his story? He was persecuting Christians. He was chasing people down. 
And Jesus shows up to Paul. Paul didn't show up to Jesus. Jesus shows up to Paul. And he goes, I've got a new story for you to live in. It's just the way the gospel works. And when the, the grace of God gets all the way down, something begins to change. I remember years ago, Sydney and I were on vacation and we were down in Florida and we've been friends with this guy for years and he's become a pretty significant person in the music industry. People love going to watch this guy play music. And so Sydney and I were on vacation and we were in town near where this guy was gonna be playing music. So I called him and said, hey, um, can we come to the show tonight? He said, yeah, I'll put you on the guest list. And we're like, yes, yeah, so we're gonna be on the guest list. Like, it just feels cool. And so um, we're excited. So we drive over to this huge field and we pay like 950 bucks to park, you know, way far away. That's an exaggeration, obviously. It's like 40 bucks. But we, we park out in this field and walk, you know, for like 300 yards through this mosquito infested field. And we get up to the front, to the will call counter, and I pull out my ID, and I'm like, hey, we're, we're on the list. And I drop my ID, and the guy's going down the list. He's like, and he goes, bro, you're not on the list. And I was like, oh, you sure you wanna double check it? The name's Clayton, and he looks, he's like, yeah, you're not on the list. I'm like, oh. And so I said, okay, I said, let me call my friend real quick, and um, he can confirm it for you. And he said, who's your friend? And I told him the name of my friend who was the guy headlining this 20,000 person concert that night. And the guy laughed at me. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you're gonna call your buddy. And so here I am in my mid-30s and cut off jean shorts, this old T-shirt and in this field. And I, I pull out my flip phone uh, to call my friend who's headlining this concert. And the moment I pull it out, the dude just starts mocking me. He's laughing. He's like, yeah, I'll wait right here as you call him from your flip phone. And I bet you're on the list. And so I called and it rang and it rang and it rang and it went to voicemail. And I'm like, oh. And so then I hung up the phone and the dude looked at me and said, oh, let me guess, he didn't answer. <laughs> and he's like, color me surprised, you know, and the dude just let me have it. So we walk all the way back to our car, through this field, get in the car. I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna talk the parking attendant into giving me my $900 back for parking that I didn't use. And we're driving and I get a phone call from my friend. And he said, hey, sorry, Mr. Call. He said, I'm sending somebody to you right now in a golf cart to come pick you up and to bring you backstage. And that was my bad. And I'm like, yes, yeah. And so, so this golf cart shows up and comes and takes us back. And, and I'm like, all right, we're gonna go right by that dude. <laughs> we're gonna go right by that dude. And so we're going right by and I'm like, stop the golf cart. And I get out and I'm like, take it. I didn't do that. That would've been awesome. I just drove by and I'm just like, like, what's up? What's up? And, and although everything in me wanted to just be like, look at how awesome I am. It, here's the reason I didn't. Here's the reason I didn't. Because I understood I, that I was getting in because of nothing about me. <laughs> I got in not because of my merit, not because of, of, of my wealth. I couldn't have bought the tickets. Like, I'm not important. I'm like, I'm nobody. But because somebody better than me wanted to, to be kind to me, gave me the grace of coming into a space that I had no business being in. And I'm just telling you, this is the essence of the gospel, is that you begin to understand, no matter how good you think you are, one day you'll stand before God and all of your righteousness, all of your efforts, will look pathetic in the presence of a perfect holy Jesus. And he goes, but you're getting in, not because of what you've done, but because of who you know. And Paul goes, this is it. My confidence has been relocated in the core of my being. Grace has come all the way in, has begun this work of transformation. He goes, and so we no longer boast in the flesh. 
His confidence was shifted. I love this second picture of transformation that he gives us. It's not just his confidence was shifted. His value system was reordered. Like what he used to value, what he used to care about was suddenly like flipped the things that he used to, to love, he now didn't care about as much. The things that he used to, uh, uh, to despise, he now longed for. He goes, Jesus has reordered my value system. Look at this in verse seven. He goes, but whatever used to be gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what's more, I now consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In fact, I consider those things garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul is reflecting on his own transformation, this thing that God's been doing inside of him. And he goes, not only has he relocated my confidence, he has fundamentally reordered my value system. What I used to be passionate about, I don't care about as much anymore. And what I used to despise, I'm suddenly really excited about. Uh, in my day job throughout the week, I, I help lead a nonprofit ministry where we train leaders. And this past week, we just finished up our yearly audit, which is always a real blast. And if you've ever been through an audit, one of the things that they do is they help you go through everything and they go, hey, what are the, what are the, the gains and what are the losses? What are the things of value and what are the things that have been let go of? And, and I love this because Paul's gonna use this accounting language here when he's talking about the way that Jesus has reordered his value system. He goes, the things that I used to put in the profit column of my life, success, visibility, power, notoriety, you know, whatever those things might be. He goes, those things that I used to put in the profit column of my life, he goes, I've actually copy and paste and moved all of those to the loss column. And the things that I used to despise, I've put in the profit column. Humility, gentleness, joy, service, Jesus, caring for others. You know, I was talking with my good buddy, Will, who's one of our worship pastors this week, and He's just reflecting. We weren't even talking about Philippians 3, but he was just reflecting on some areas of his life where when we were teenagers, we would make fun of certain things that Christians would do. And then we become followers of Jesus, and we now find ourselves talking about those things, doing those things, and it's like, wait, have we become the weird people we used to make fun of? And it's like, there's been, there's been this reordering of the value system. The things I used to look down upon, I go, wow, that's, that's really amazing. It's beautiful. The things that I used to celebrate and chase after, I'm like, I don't know that it's that big of a deal anymore. The Spirit of God comes in and He doesn't just shift your confidence, He gives you a new value system. I'm thinking about one of my buddies who, uh, for years, was this really successful businessman, made tons of money before he became a follower of Jesus, just lots and lots and lots of money. And about 15 years ago, became a follower of Jesus. And now he's making even more money. That's not the point of the sermon or the message, but maybe you'll hold on to that. Like he's making more money. He became a follower of Jesus and the spirit of God began directing his affairs and his leadership. And so he's making lots and lots of money. And a few years ago, he sells his company and just makes absolute bank, you know, like more money than I will ever understand. Um, I would love the opportunity to try to understand, but I will never understand the kind of money that he's making. And so I was with him back in February. I was in his city and I called him up. I said, let's hang out together. And we're just talking like, what's God been doing in your life? And he said, you know, before I became a follower of Jesus, he said, all I would think about, I obsessed about how much money I could make, how much I could save up, how much I could invest, how much profit, he goes, he goes that was my value system, how much I could get. 
He said, but did I become a follower of Jesus? And he said, and the primary thing I think about now is how can I give it all away? He's like, one of my goals this year is I wanna give away between three and six million dollars. And I'm like, dude, I would love to help you with that. We'd love a, <laughs> if you'd put a swimming pool in our backyard, we'd use it for the glory of God to the end of the year. Like, we'd just be declaring the gospel, you know, like sitting on a float. Like, it's the longing of his heart, not how much can he get, how much can he give. And I go, it's a picture of transformation when somebody thinks like that inside out. Value system being reordered, confidence being relocated. I love this third picture of transformation. Paul's gonna say, my longings, my longings have been fundamentally, fundamentally reordered. This is important when you think about this. You know, you read the book of Romans and it's clear that when you become a follower of Jesus, it's not that all of your old longings suddenly go away. It's like, okay, I don't think about those things anymore. Uh, I was with a friend a few weeks ago who's in his mid-50s, and he has been wrestling with and battling with sexual temptation for as long as he can remember, back to the time he was about 11 or 12 years old. He's been wrestling with all sorts of sexual temptation and hardship, and it's, it's been a tough thing. And uh, he lived into that brokenness for a really long time. He said in his mid to late 20s, he became a follower of Jesus. And he said, by God's grace, he goes, I've been sober from that stuff for almost 30 years. And he goes, and every day I keep praying that Jesus would just take away those old longings, that I would not feel the longings to the things that bring me so much destruction. And he goes, I believe Jesus can do that. He said, but for whatever reason, Jesus has not taken away all of my old longings. This is what stuck with me though. He goes, but he has reordered them. He's given me a longing that is fundamentally deeper than the longing that I feel for sex or for companionship, the longing that I feel to not be lonely anymore. He goes, like, there's literally this desire in me for Jesus that doesn't make sense. And he goes, and there's so many days where I'm just battling those old longings. He goes, but God's come in and he's reordered those things. And I think sometimes we, we have this false promise when we become disciples of Jesus is that God will just immediately erase all of the unwanted longings. And sometimes he does. But the promise is not that he erases the old longings, it's that he reorders. He begins over time to give you a deeper longing. Look back at verse 10, this is so powerful. Paul says, despite everything I've gone through, he goes, this is what I long for, this is my deepest longing. He goes, I want to know Christ. He goes, I wanna know Jesus more than I wanna get rich, more than I wanna be married, more than I want sexual fulfillment, more than I want a lot of money in the bank account. And he goes, I want Jesus more than I want fame or security or comfort. He goes, I want to know Christ. And he goes, and I wanna know him in every way. He goes, I wanna know the power of his resurrection. I wanna share in the fellowship of his suffering. I wanna be just like him even in his death to somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul goes, here's the, the, the deepest longing of my life. It's been reordered in Jesus is that I would have intimate, perfect, unbroken communion with the living God. And I don't know about you, but, but I read Paul's kind of journey of transformation, what he's going through, and I go, Verse 10 and 11, that's not true of me yet. <laughs> I want it to be true of me. 
but to want Christ so badly that I go, Jesus, I even, Jesus, would you please help me suffer like you suffered? Jesus, would you please help me die like you died? Like that's a different kind of prayer. But Paul goes, my, uh, my, my longings have been reordered. Something has been transformed from the inside out. He goes, my, my universe has been set on the axis of eternity and I long for something that I didn't used to long for and that is perfect, unbroken communion and fellowship with the living God. A few weeks ago, Sydney and I were in Indianapolis. We were teaching at some conferences and one of our friends from Sierra Leone, West Africa was there and God has used this man in unbelievable ways in the lives of so many people, but he does really amazing things in some really difficult places. And over the course of about three or four days, Sydney and I heard him teach three different times. And in all three of his teachings, he told a story about being arrested as he was trying to share the gospel. But all of the stories were different stories of being arrested. You know, I'm like, how crazy. You've got three arrest stories? He's like, no, I have a lot more than that. It was tough to choose from them. And I'm like, man, if you talk to an American, it's like, remember that time I got arrested in college, you know, for uh, doing something on campus? But um, he's telling these stories about being arrested for Jesus and being stuck in shipping containers in the middle of the desert, being held at gunpoint, being brutally beaten. Tells the story of his oldest son tragically dying last year. And he's talking about all of these areas of hardship, of suffering, and when I'm sitting there talking with Shadonke, this is what resonated from that conversation. He goes, in the midst of all of the suffering, he goes, I experienced friendship with Jesus that I never could experience in a place of comfort. And he goes, and I just want him more. And I go, man, I don't know if you want this yet, but don't you want to want it? <laughs> don't you want this kind of transformation? Like this is what, what Paul is going, hey, this is what God's after in your life. He's going to He's gonna relocate your confidence. He's, he, he is gonna reorder your value system and your longings. He gives us one more. I love this. He says, and then the Lord's gonna redirect your ambitions. He's gonna redirect your ambitions. You know, becoming a follower of Jesus doesn't mean that all of a sudden you have to live in seclusion out in the woods by yourself, you know, saying Gregorian chants 12 hours a day and, and like, okay, I'm just gonna, like, for some, that's what God calls them to, but, but I think a lot of times when we think about the transformative work of Jesus in our life, we don't typically know what to do with our ambition. Because <laughs> I think a lot of times before we become followers of Jesus, our ambition is so misguided, we don't trust our ambition once we start following Christ. And here's what I love though, is when, when Jesus begins to transform you from the inside out, your ambitions aren't put on the sidelines that are redirected to greater things that are worth more uh, in the kingdom of God than you could ever understand. God goes, I wanna use your energy. I wanna use your imagination. I wanna use your gifts. I wanna use your strength and I wanna unleash those things for my eternal purposes. Look at verse 12 through 14. I, mean, I just love this ambition. He says, not all, uh, he says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. So brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of this. But one thing, forgetting what is behind. Listen to this language, it's ambitious language. He goes, straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Here Paul is in prison towards the end of his life, awaiting his execution. 
He's shared the gospel all over the known world, started more churches than any of us could count. He's written half the New Testament. And this is a moment where it's like, you can almost imagine his friends going, hey, Paul, you can just kind of take it easy, chill out. You've done a lot for Jesus. Let the young guys take it from here. <laughs> but I love this in the kingdom of God. It's just not the way that it works. In the kingdom of God, as you get older, as the spirit of God keeps transforming you, your ambitions don't die down with age. They raise up. They stir up. God begins to increase your imagination for what it is that he wants to do. And I, I know I've said this so many times here in our church family, but one day we're gonna look around this room and I pray to God it's filled with 90-year-olds because that means you've grown up. We've grown up in the Lord. And I pray that this room is filled with 90-year-olds that are so zealous for Jesus, so passionate for Jesus, still living on mission with Jesus, thinking about how to reach the ends of the world for Jesus. I hope that you do not retire your ambition when you retire from your job. That the Spirit of God doesn't put our ambition on the sidelines, just redirects it towards heavenly things. Paul goes, I'm yearning, I'm striving, I'm leaning forward. He goes, I don't have much time left, but I'm gonna use it for the glory of God. This past year, Sydney and I got to go to this mission base. It's here in the United States. It was started 45 years ago, led by this amazing couple that has literally sent missionaries to every nation on earth. They've done unbelievable things with the next generation and uh, the founder, uh, he and his wife have just been leading it faithfully for almost five, five decades, but uh, this spring he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and he doesn't have very long to live. And so they decide, hey, we're not gonna do any more treatments. We're not gonna, we're not gonna try to hold on any longer. He goes, unless Jesus heals me, he goes, I'm gonna die. And he goes, but here's how I wanna use my last few weeks or my last month, last couple of months. And he says, I wanna spend a lot of time with my, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. And he goes, and I wanna leverage all of my relationships, all of my resources, and any strategic vision that God has ever given me. He goes, I wanna leverage all of it in these last couple of months to put together a plan to make sure the Bible gets translated into every language on the planet over the next few years. And I go, Man, how ambitious is that for a dude in his late 80s dying, stage four cancer, who's literally set foot on every nation of the earth. If ever there was a moment to just sit back and ride it into the sunset, he goes, he goes, no, I'm pressing on. He goes, I've got something left in the tank and I'm gonna use this last bullet for the glory of God. He's like, I'm gonna take it all the way to the finish line. And I love this, Paul just goes, here's the journey that I've been on of transformation. And what Christ has started in you, he'll bring to completion if you'll let him do it. Inside out. Your confidence will be on his grace, not your performance. Your value systems on eternal, not the temporal. The longings of your life being reordered around intimacy and fellowship with the living God and your ambitions being redirected to the things that will outlive you. Paul goes, this is what God has for you. And you can almost just hear him say, like, just, hey, guys, please don't play it safe. Please don't play it safe. Please don't let the world and all of the things you have going on lower your vision for what it means to live a life fully transformed because somewhere deep in your heart, I know God has put this longing for eternity, that longing for transformation that he just wants to unleash in you. And it's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong process. 
day in, day out, week in, week out, minute by minute by minute, hour by hour by hour. But I'll, but I'll, end, I'll end with this. How do we keep practically partnering with Jesus towards the transformative work that he wants to do? And all throughout the book of Philippians, Paul's gonna talk about things like obedience and revelation and community and grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. But here, in this little section that we just read, two words, he goes, keep being worshipful and watchful. Keep being worshipful and watchful. In verse one, he says, I want you to keep rejoicing in the things that God has done. In other words, keep remembering, keep rehearsing, keep reflecting, keep talking about what it is that Jesus has done in your life. It's like when you hang out with your old college buddies and you tell the same stories every single year, something happens in you as you rehearse those old moments of joy, it bonds your heart together. And Paul's gonna say, here's the way you keep living into transformation. You get together and you rehearse joy. You rehearse what Jesus has done. You sing it, you read about it, you receive communion, you call it out in each other's lives, you get in house churches, you do it around coffee tables and dinners and on walks through the park. You rehearse joy, you rejoice together. You live a life that's worshipful. It's part of the way that you yield to the ongoing work of transformation. It's not just a worshipful life though. Verse two, he says, and I want you to be watchful. So I want you to be watchful because watch out. And I'm not gonna spend any time on this this morning, but Paul's gonna say, not everybody has Jesus's agenda or Jesus's best in mind for you. Not everything that's labeled Christian is actually Christian. Not every Christian podcast is actually true. Not every Christian book is worth digesting and reading and understanding. Not, not every friend is worth listening to the same way. He's gonna say, if you want Jesus' transformative work to keep taking root in your life, get in a community that's filled with worship and then with each other, watch out for anything that's trying to come against the transformative work of Jesus. And love each other enough to say, hey, I think you're made for more than that. And so this, this morning, this is, what we're gonna lean into. I'm not sure where you find yourself in the journey of transformation, but we're gonna practice what Paul was reflecting on as we go to the table, as we take the bread, and as we take the cup, we're gonna literally lean in and go everything good that's happening in our life starts and ends and is perfected in the finished work of Jesus. And so as you receive communion, I wanna invite you to circle your chairs up, confess sin, reflect on what God has been doing, pray for each other, help each other, and then we're gonna end just with a time of worship because something happens as we recount the work of the Lord together. So let's stand up. I wanna pray a blessing over you, and then we'll come up and receive communion together. Father, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Spirit, we love you. Father, I thank you that when we were enemies of, of the cross of Christ, you came to us. You've revealed yourself to us. God, even this morning, there's some among us who are not followers of Jesus. Father, would you come among us this morning and would you reveal yourself to them? And then God, would you, by, by your grace and your power, would you just keep bringing about transformation from the inside out in every sphere of our life so that we would begin to think like you, live like you, love like you in all of the spaces that we live, act, and play. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I love you. Let's come forward. Let's receive communion. There'll be men and women at the Respond Banner. We would love to pray with you. If you need somebody to pray over you this morning in your journey of transformation, we would, we would love to, to just pray with you this morning. And so let's receive communion. Come forward for prayers, and then we'll end with worship.